Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, um, short one, short one, short message too, everybody. Oh, I was glad I was, glad I was expecting to be met with cheers and woohoo and... and um, I got my niece and nephew here, and my niece said, last time I came to church, and, and like this is like years ago, she said the sermon was really, really long. You had to keep yelling at people to wake up. And, and I was sort of thinking, oh, golly, that's what she's remembered after all those years. Uh, right, well, um, Robin's grandma, Nanny, some of you will remember Nanny. She, was, she visited us for a couple of few weeks there um, mid last year. She's 102. So, yeah, so a lot of people have said to me at times, wow, she must have seen a lot of changes in her lifetime, and that's true. Imagine the changes that you'd see in 102 years. But as I think about the changes that Nanny would have seen, yes, there's lots of technological changes and stuff, but I actually suspect that the biggest social change has actually been in my lifetime. Um, maybe even the biggest social change since, since the coming of Jesus came in my lifetime and your lifetime, and it's continuing to unfold today. So it was in the 1990s when the internet first entered into the public domain, and I remember at the time they were saying, this is the information superhighway. I thought, seriously? I mean, at that time, about the only information you could get was, was the self-publicity of the major corporations who had one of those new fandangled website things that could tell you the same information that they used to put out in a brochure. But since that time, things have really changed, and it really is now the information superhighway. The trouble is, uh, like most highways, is the traffic that's on it. Um, the trouble is that 90% of the traffic on the information superhighway belongs in the junkyard. Uh, it may be information, um, but is that information true? Or is it twisted? Or is it polluting? Or is it just outright lies? Right? So now anyone can set themselves up as a, as a news website, or anyone can publish authoritative articles, or anyone can present the facts as they know them. And so there's a new phrase, although it's not really a new phrase, it's, it's becoming more common, and you would have heard it, fake news, right? It, it, to me, it seems like a new phrase, but apparently that phrase has been around since the 1800s. But it's really a phrase that's getting used more and more and more. And of course, our take on whether something is fake news or not depends on whether I agree with it. And so we find people who have opposing views accusing each other, you're listening to fake news. And they go, no, you're listening to fake news. No, you're listening to fake news. See, everyone today has a soapbox. Everyone has their pet cause. And the information now is spread and it's repeated so fast 
that our global society is being moulded sometimes in a matter of hours in ways that at one time it would have used to have taken a decade or more for information to disseminate across the globe and, and throughout the community. The thing is, back then, that gave it time for the information to be digested and tested and critiqued and debunked. That doesn't happen anymore. And so our society is being shaped like never before, usually on about a 12-hour cycle. We get this every 12 hours. We get this new and apparently impelling information that we all need to know. But is that information true? Where today can we find certainty? We have certainty in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have certainty in everything that Jesus has achieved. And so in our world, we might have all of this uncertainty happening, but we still have this firm foundation. Where things that we know are certain, things that we know are true, things that will not change. So as we've already heard, we're beginning our new series today on the Gospel of Luke. Now, I'm sort of always torn when we start a new series. How much information do I give you, that, you know, about different things? And how much is it just going to be teaching that we apply to our lives? Well, I guess, first of all, we have to ask, who is this bloke, Luke? Well, Luke is a Gentile Christian. That, now, being a Gentile, that means he's, he's not a Jew. And I think that he is the only Gentile to be a writer in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he also wrote Acts. And those are the two of the longest books in the New Testament. And so Luke actually wrote about 28% of the New Testament. That's significant. 28% of, of all of the New Testament was written by Luke. By the way, I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to read his handwriting because Luke was a doctor. Um, I, don't know, I don't think it's so much a thing anymore, but back in the day, I noticed the nurse laughed. It is still a thing. Doctors writing, what? It, yes, and, and the person who works in the doctor's surgery, she's nodding too. I, I remember back in the day before they printed scripts, um, I, I took a script to the chemist, and the chemist looked at it and goes, no, nah, no idea. They rang the doctor, um, just wanting to know what you prescribed, Michael. And he looks back and he's saying, oh, yeah, that's such and such. They just couldn't read his writing. But anyway, in, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician. And we might see this coming through in his writings as we study the book of Luke, because he's quite descriptive in the healing miracles, as you would expect a doctor to be. Now, although Luke has written, what did I say, 28% of the New Testament, we might be surprised to discover that Luke is not considered to be an apostle. Why not? Why isn't Luke an apostle? Well, it's because Luke himself was not an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and, you know, we, we might hear of some people being called apostles today. Well, they're not really apostles. They might have apostle-like gifts, but they are not apostles. Uh, that it, biblically, an apostle is someone who is an eyewitness to the things that Jesus said and did and taught, and an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus, and they were sent out. That's what the word apostle means, to be sent out 
the sent ones, to be witnesses to the things that they had seen. Um, but, so, but although Luke isn't an apostle, um, his faith was strong, and he was very active in ministry and mission, and, and he, we know that he accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys. So that's who Luke is. What about the book of Luke? Well, the book of Luke is the first of a two-part series, and, and we need to understand this about the book of Luke. It doesn't just stand on its own. It's the first volume of a two-volume work. Um, Abby's visiting us at the moment, and she's just borrowed a heap of books from Robin, and it's when you sort of start reading a, a, a series of novels, it, it, it's not complete if you just read one, if there's two, two novels that need to go with it or more. And that's the way that, that Luke and Acts are. So Luke is a gospel. A gospel is a book of the Bible that records what Jesus said, records what he did and, and what he taught. And the second part of that series is the book of Acts, and that is everything that Jesus continued to do through the early church. And that's important for us to realize, that Jesus continued to do his work through the early church. Right, so let's come back to finding certainty. Where today can we find certainty? We have certainty in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have certainty in what he has achieved. And as I read this introduction to Luke, I am so thankful that Luke took the time and the effort, and it would have been a fair bit of time and a fair bit of effort, to do everything that he did. You see, if Jesus came today, his whole ministry would be on YouTube, right? Everybody would be around there holding their phones up, recording everything that he said and everything he did. And, and then there'd be a race to, to be the first one to get it posted and, and, and to edit it in such a way that, that it really captures people's attentions and gets all of the things. Um, even the Pharisees, I reckon, they'd be out there recording him and then they'd get onto their discussion groups. Can you believe what this bloke just said? Listen to this nonsense. And they'd give a little snippet of what Jesus said and everything that makes Jesus look bad and makes them look, look very sanctimonious. Um, and then others would be chasing likes on their Facebook page and they'd post things, see this miracle, everybody. And oh, cool, thumbs up. Is, is thumbs up Facebook or is that something else? I, I, you're laughing at me. I have no idea. Is it? Yeah, okay, thumb, thumbs up, yep. Because none of that existed back then. The first generation of Christians were living in what we call an oral culture. Um, that doesn't mean that they're all dentists. It means that everything that Jesus said and everything that he did was told and retold and retold again. And eventually, individual stories and individual segments of Jesus' ministry were written down. Somebody would remember a parable. Oh, I might write that down just so I can remember it. And then somebody would remember a different parable and they'd write that down. But when you've got all of these little segments of Jesus' ministry all over the place, how could we know that they could be trusted? And that's actually a legitimate question to ask. And, and, and it's a legitimate question for people to ask even today, and they do. Non-Christians especially will ask, well, oh, how can you trust what you've been told? What do you say to that? How do you answer someone when, when they say, well, how can you know that what you've been told is true? 
How can you know that, that it hasn't just been made up? Or how do you know that, that these stories that were passed on by word of mouth weren't embellished a little bit at every stage of the journey so that by the time it gets to you, it, it's turned into a legend or an old wives' tale? How can you know that? Well, this is where Luke steps in. Luke is writing to a bloke by the name of Theophilus. In fact, he, he calls them him most excellent Theophilus. Sounds like a very important chap. Um, and I suspect he was to have a title like most excellent Theophilus. But he mightn't have actually been a real bloke even. The name Theophilus means loved by God. He could have just been using that name to say, hey, this is for all Christians. It's for everyone who's loved by God. We don't know. It could be a real bloke or it could be just a letter for all Christians. But what we do know is why Luke set out to do what he did. And you know, it's such a simple thing. He says, it seemed like a good thing. It seemed good to me to do, do it. Imagine that. This bloke's written 28% of the New Testament and it's because it seemed like a good thing to do. He does tell us more than that. He tells us that the eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word, who's he talking about there? He's talking about the apostles and he's talking about the original disciples of Jesus. What they had done is they had passed down the teachings of Jesus. They had told and retold the accounts of everything that Jesus had done. Now, undoubtedly, by the time it got to, to Luke writing it down, undoubtedly there would have been some segments of it written down. And Luke had carefully followed all this. Any information, Luke just loved Jesus so much. Any information that he could get on what Jesus had said and did, he wanted to know it. I mean, this is so soon after the ministry of Jesus, you could imagine him just going, oh, I just wish I could have been there. You'd wish you could have been with Jesus and hear it direct from his mouth. Imagine Luke so soon after just, as Maxwell Smart would say, missed it by that much. Right? But he just collated all of this, everything that he could find, and he, said, he tells us that he compiled it. All of these little disjointed stories, all of these little snippets of everything that Jesus did, and he pulls it all together. And, and we get the impression here as we read this that the eyewitnesses played a large part in helping him to do that. He had the narratives that some had told. He had the, some of the accounts had been written down and he got the testimony of the apostles and the ministers of the word and other eyewitnesses. And he collided, collated all of these testimonies together so that Theophilus, so that the one whom God loves, so that you and I could have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. That's what Luke's done for us. Is anyone glad that Luke did that? Good, excellent. He did it for, the, for Theophilus, but Christians throughout the centuries and throughout the millennia, we've benefited so much by what seemed to Luke a good thing to do. So some see Luke as a historian. He's someone who's very careful to get the facts right as much as he can. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it a lot. He's often referred to as an evangelist, the spreader of good news. 
And yes, he's that as well. But something we have to realise is Luke and Acts are two parts of the one story. Which is interesting, because the Gospel of Luke begins by telling us that it is a narrative, it is an account of the things that have been accomplished among us. Right? So it's about the things that have been accomplished. But then when he begins the book of Acts, he writes this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Now that sounds a bit different, doesn't it? Right? We're told in Luke that it's everything that Jesus has accomplished. We're being told in Acts that, the, that it was everything that Jesus began to do. Which is it? Well, it's both. Jesus accomplished his work at his first coming. And then he was taken up to heaven. And then when we read in Acts chapter 2, Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church and through his Holy Spirit, he continues to do his work through the Christian church. Everything that the Christian church is doing, everything that the Christian church does as it preaches Christ and as it takes his ministry out into the world, this is Jesus himself working through us. Don't, don't ever get it into your head. This is you doing it. It's not you doing it. It's God doing it. It's Christ doing it through his Holy Spirit. But it is only possible because of what he has already accomplished at his first coming. So what did Jesus accomplish? Well, right from chapter 1, the theme that is firmly set for this gospel is a theme of salvation. Now, the word salvation, it simply means being saved. That's what salvation is. And so the th whole theme of Luke is salvation, being saved. But it's, it's also presenting this as a fulfilment of God's promises that he made long ago. Right? So throughout the Old Testament, there's all the promises of God that there was coming a time when God would bring his salvation and save. And this is a fulfilment of that. That's what Jesus accomplished. He fulfilled God's purposes as he brought us salvation. He brought salvation for the Jew and something which really sticks out to us in here is how the salvation is not only for the Jew, it's for the Gentile as well. And given that most of us here are probably Gentiles, whew, thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that. So my prayer is that as we study this book of Luke, that we will gain a certainty in what we've been taught and that any of us who have any doubts, that, that as we read this gospel, that, that is a, a, a group of, of carefully compiled eyewitnesses' testimonies, we would realise that that's exactly what it is and that that would work to shore up our faith. This is eyewitness testimony that's been passed down and that is something to shore up our faith. But it should also give us, I guess, encouragement to share this with other people. So when you have a non-Christian friend who says to you, how can you be sure about this? 
You can take them straight to the first opening four verses of Luke and go, this is why. Right? Now, if an academic had, had done this as a project today, you'd believe it. Well, here's what Luke is doing. He's done it for us so that we can believe it. He's collated the, the teaching, the, the recollections of, of all of the teachings of Jesus and the people who have given him this information are those who have walked with Jesus themselves. They've heard his teaching. They've lived with him. They've eaten with him. They've witnessed his miracles. And best of all, they encountered him after he'd been raised from the dead. Luke compiled all of this so that we can have certainty. It's not just hearsay. It's carefully collated testimony and gives us certainty. And its major theme is the fulfilment of God's promises in salvation. So I'm looking forward to digging into Luke. Is anyone else looking forward to digging into Luke? Excellent. There's something really special about getting into the Gospels and, and just studying the teachings of Jesus. I mean, we call ourselves here bush disciples. That means we're disciples of Jesus who happen to live out in the bush. Um, and to be disciples of Jesus, we follow Jesus, we, we learn from his teachings. Right, so that's the introduction. Uh, but unfortunately, it's going to be another three weeks before we get back into it again. So, um, so for those who are listening to the recordings, don't expect any more Luke coming through for the next three weeks uh, because next Sunday is the fifth Sunday. So no service here on the fifth Sunday, but everybody's invited to go to Cecil Plains. Um, we're meeting with Cecil Plains on the fifth Sunday and they'd love to have you come and visit. Robin will give more details of that with the announcements. And then Robin and I are going on holidays for two weeks. So we're going to be away for two weeks. Church will still be on here. Don't stop coming to church because we're on holidays. In fact, usually the church grows when we're on holidays. So that's good. We're looking forward to seeing a bigger, bigger church when we get back. Um, but I want to finish with another bit of really good news for you. Because Luke is so long, here's the heads up, it's going to take us over a year to work our way through it. Now, the good news in that is Jesus might get back before we finish. Um, gives a pretty good chance when it's a whole year. Um, so live with that expectation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all your faithful disciples who have passed on the faith to the next generation and the next. We thank you for those who have passed on the accounts of Jesus, the the teachings of Jesus, the things that he said and the things that he did. And we thank you for those who wrote it down, for people like Luke. And Lord, as we study this Gospel of Luke, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would give us certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. And we praise you for everything that Jesus has accomplished and for everything that he's continuing to do in his church through his Holy Spirit. We praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.